0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of American Enough is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio.
1: Every time you see a political ad on TV, a slogan on the back of a bumper sticker, or even just a T-shirt with the political quote on it, it's reflective of a deep art, design, and series of statements that are meticulously crafted and woven together to tell a story about our values and the identity of a political movement for frank chi a progressive media strategist and filmmaker the concept of conveying a message goes far beyond just digital mediums in 140 character sound bites or very short barbs and jabs that get exchanged across cable news for frank the art of storytelling is core to the American experience, and the art of filmmaking is fundamental to how we tell our narrative as a people, looking forward and reflecting backwards. In this day and age where all too often political commentary gets yelled and sharped across bows with very, very brief sound bites, packaging a very intense and poignant reflection upon who we are as a people today, and how that contrasts with people's That we were just a few generations ago is core to what frank offers when he's been advising everyone from u s senators to governors to members of congress having developed work that's been recognized by the new york times msnbc and rolling stone Frank, as a progressive fighter for social justice, weaves together the art of storytelling and film to be able to comment on what the American immigrant experience and the American idea as a series of conversations of race over time has actually meant for our country. Most recently, collaborating with the Smithsonian Institution, Frank produced a film called America is in the Heart. Reflecting upon the actual written work published in 1946 from Carlos Bulusan's note taking of what it meant to be a Filipino American immigrant, Frank worked together with comedian Hassan Minaj, community organizer Ivy Cucho, and writer Juno Diaz to understand snapshots of immigrants throughout the United States and reflect the voice of Carlos from 1946 as still applicable to our modern vision about how we think about immigration in this country. But delving beyond just the small sound bites that we're all too accustomed to in the modern American media and news landscape, Frank leverages film to be able to tell a story that really animates what it means to be a human in this country and what American identity has meant time and time again, regardless of who was in power and regardless of what year it was. For Frank, the concept of film is going to be a fundamental medium in which we can tell the story of this country, of who we are, where we're going, and how the arc of social justice is bending. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. Frank Chi joins American Enough today. Frank, a progressive media strategist and filmmaker himself, has not only been recognized by the New York Times, MSNBC, and Rolling Stone, but he's led digital creative campaigns for U.S. senators, for governors, for members of Congress, and for even the Smithsonian Institution to advance work through a compilation of film, art, and digital mediums to tell stories about immigrants, historical perspectives on race relations, as well as a wide variety of social justice causes. Frank, thanks for joining American Enough. Thanks for having me, Victor. So I kind of want to start, you've had the opportunity to work on a broad cut of of initiatives, of campaigns, of, of voices that have really made up um, the modern American identity of a progressive uh, dialogue, but before we kind of get into the specifics of your work, I just want to define for our our listeners what exactly a media strategist and filmmaker, what their role can be when it comes to either political identity or, frankly, just advancing certain social justice causes. Is this somebody who literally just flips open open their camera phone? Record something going on in their environment and tells a story um, or is it something that specifically is shaping the way campaigns and elections uh, uh, are executed, or is it something else altogether
0: So I think you know film is and its role in society right now is is changing uh, along with so many other things right um, but with the smartphone and the fact that we can capture very quality footage and upload it. You know, the social media almost immediately—it's um, changed the way we behave. It's changed the way we see certain issues. Um, it's changed the way we communicate with each other, for sure. So, you know, from from my perspective, it's not just film, right? Film has always been powerful, but it's film with an upload link, and having the ability to to share a value that you capture on camera, to share an incident that you capture on camera, and then. And then to put that online, where communities uh, can can see and share it, uh, has really changed. Um, I think it's changed the concept of social justice altogether. Right? I think you know, if if you look at Black Lives Matter, I think that is the fundamental difference in which how that movement started with previous social justice movements. Um, so it's it's not you know film has always been powerful, but it's it's the it's the power of the internet that has really given it uh, a, a new a new chapter in how it can affect society. Um, you know, from from my perspective, when when I create film, and especially the kind of content that people view on social media, uh, it's always about values. Um, and sometimes you can communicate that really easily through, you know, somebody's Facebook Live, right? But uh, oftentimes it, it needs to be something that we think through and we want to you know, really spend some time with before we, we make a statement. Um, you know, I just speak for myself here, but you know, when I when I make a statement through film, uh I, I literally do the exact opposite of what it means to like tweet. Right? Like I brew on it for months. Uh it takes a time to really, you know, sit down and script it out and to you know, organize logistics and then obviously to film it and to edit it. Right. It is a process. Um and and look, not that there's no value in in tweeting. There I mean, there there are folks who have really made that something that has a true impact on society. Um, but maybe the point is, at the end of the day, content and the and the different kind of platforms that we have allows every single person who, to express themselves in their own way.
1: Yeah. And I I think that the reason that I'm fascinated specifically about the mediums through which um, you've lent your i your your sense of design as well as um your your set of values is particularly interesting is because um everyone knows i mean it may be an obvious statement to say you know film is a powerful voice or has a powerful voice and, and the power to shape opinion sure. um in the same way that multimedia content does um there these are all supp- i suppose tools in in one's toolkit to tell a broader story but specifically when it comes to Um, social movements, if if we think about um, free speech movements occurring in Berkeley's campus during the 1960s, or if we think about what occurred um, not just on U.S. soil, but marches for women that exploded across the entire globe the day after the inauguration of Donald Trump, um, or even if you think of um, the Arab Springs explosion in Tahrir Square a couple of years back, All of these evoke certain types of images when someone who either follows politics or doesn't follow politics may assume. You know, the the clenched fist, um, people marching down a street, posters in the air, confrontation maybe even with rows of police and clashes with police. That's sort of one um, maybe – way to minimize view of what protest is or what standing up for justice is. But those are types of images that we might see when we think of that. You, however, have really brought the concept of design Art and storytelling to a broad swath of issue areas. Everybody from telling the story of of immigrants that were interned in uh, um, what were you know sequestered in Japanese internment camps to even telling the story of um, you know our our beloved Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, to the campaigns of Elizabeth Warren um, to your more modern project um, in which you you know we'll talk about uh, shortly of America is in the heart. Um, All of these evoke this concept of social justice they all talk about American values and they all aim to tell the American story but you do it with not a clenched fist you don't do it by marching down a street confronting police you do it with the power of narrative art design and storytelling can you tell us a little bit about why viewing the lens viewing the world through that those lenses and specifically creating more aesthetic interactions with marches for justice is an effective approach and really why it's a passionate approach for you frank chi
0: you know look i, I mean what i was saying earlier about um how everybody having a platform to express themselves the way they want to right uh this is yeah, this is the way that I choose to engage with the issues uh of the day, and um the internet has made all of that possible in terms of getting it out there in front of folks, so you know I believe in planning moments, and there's no better moment there's no better way to do that than through um through sort of capturing and captivating folks' attention. And I think the best way to do that is through the best film content possible. Um, you know, I think the, there, if there's one thing that's consistent through all of the work that you just mentioned is that they sort of cut to the core of what we believe, um, whether that's from a social justice standpoint or economic justice standpoint or from, uh, you know, a women's rights standpoint. Every single issue of justice Um it's, you know, like, like we we don't necessarily have to sort of, like, dance around it, right? I think there has been this norm of political media that has existed since the 60s or 70s, which is, you know, this idea of, like, you know, pocketbook issues runs the day and, you know, like, sort of trying to find clever ways to communicate a message. I think, you know, we see that very... Very evidently, like in the TV, the ad culture that that has dominated American politics for so long, it's just no longer the way we operate as a people. Um, you know, these are very, very unstable, and, and some would say existential times for America. And nobody wants to see, right. nobody wants to see, like, you know, weird ads that don't resonate with folks, you know, in a moment like this. And and. And I think it's been especially difficult for a lot of people who have been so used to the TV medium to transition to at the internet because they don't know how to communicate from a moral value standpoint, uh, and and that's what we need right now. It's not just what's popular; it's what what's really sorely needed in American politics. So you know, everything that I do, I try to have like a, a very clear moral message to it, and I, I use politics and history and art. And I I I, I try to find a nexus between the three to really uh, make make my point clear. Um, But you know, if anything, we need more of that, right? It shouldn't just be like, oh, we know a couple of folks who do that. We should every single person who has a goal to advance when it comes to political communication uh, should be making moral arguments.
1: And, and you've often uh, you ha- have an incredible track record of producing rich content in which, you know, a core theme of your moral argument is that America as a nation, as a republic, um, as an institution, America to you is a- an idea, um, it's an ideal in many ways and, and you tell stories um, you know through the lens of whether it's a working class politician trying to get elected or an immigrant reflecting on the times. Um, to walk us through a little bit about what exactly you mean by America being an idea and and maybe more precisely based off of the conversations that you've had, based off of the politicians you've worked for, and based off of the stories that you've told, um, what is it mean to be American enough in this modern existential landscape, as you put it?
0: You know, I think America as an idea is something that was given to us in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, as imperfect as those documents were, they left room for them to be better, to be perfected. Um, and that has been the, the, the mission of people who believe in justice and equality and open opportunity for as long as we've been around, right? So at, at our best, America is an idea. Um, and when when we, when we don't live up to those ideas, those are, those are moments when we need to remind everybody of what those ideas can be. And I think we're living in one of those moments right now, right? Nobody, no country elects a man like Donald Trump um Without needing reminders of what the best of America can be um so when when we're confronting these issues, um we have to sort of go through other moments in American history where we've been down the same path, right This is not the only existential moment that we we've experienced as a country, um whether that's through Danger. you know the civil War or civil rights movement or the Great Depression or you know just Every single movement that that we've seen make an impact and change the way people think through generations, we have to learn those lessons again. Um, if anything, the Trump era should be a, a, a civics lesson for Americans who have lost touch with what the original mission of this country was. So, um, you know, I think obviously that lends itself to a lot of moral arguments that that uh, I have. Been very very focused on making uh, across a whole uh, range
1: of issues, and and one of those um, approaches uh, that you've mentioned in term in terms of you know this is not the only inflection point of in history where we've had you know a crisis of of consciousness or mm-hmm. at least a questioning of how we should represent our ideals. Um, it, a powerful tool that you've leveraged through your work has been a look back in history and kind of juxtaposing really core moments in America's identity over time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, contrasting that to a moment in, in a more modern uh, time. Um, specifically, you, you produced um, a a video um, for, I believe it was for the Smithsonian, correct me if I'm wrong, called letters from camp mm-hmm. in which you specifically had young um, Muslim American uh, children. I'm assuming many of them born here mm-hmm. in the States or at least first generation from immigrant parents reading letters um, from uh, children at that point in time during World War II um, of young uh, Japanese-Americans that were in internment camps okay. um, with, with those individuals right there seated in the room. Why was it important for you to bring together an older, you know, grandparent-age Japanese-American and a young, um, you know, toddler-age uh, Muslim-American to, to tell a story? What were you really trying to achieve there, and why was that contrast uh, important for you?
0: humanity right um you know we we are still living in an age where so many people who experienced that era that like the turmoil of world war ii there are still many with many of them who are are still with us and um when we need to, to learn moral lessons uh there's no better example than those who've experienced previous times where we did right and um i think before, for japanese americans especially the children who grew up in those incarceration camps they um, you know they they want to find ways to remind america never again you know and it doesn't not just towards japanese americans or asian americans it's towards anyone who is being targeted uh, in in america and right now islamophobia is rampant and there's every single you know, every other day you see somebody on cable news talking about a Muslim registry, right? You know, I'll say that that video, when it first came out in May of last year, it it, it, it like was a dent in of itself, right? Like it created a moment, people talked about it, there was news coverage. But it really took um, like a Trump administration, a transition official justifying Japanese incarceration and relating that to a Muslim registry right after... You want right after it was like during the transition about 10 days afterwards where somebody went on Fox News and tried to justify Japanese incarceration in relationship to creating a Muslim registry. And it was at that moment when the video really took over the Internet for a few days, because people know that's wrong. Wrong. And and you want to share it and say in a powerful way, that's not just a tweet or, you know, an angry Facebook post. You take. A piece of content like that, and you express yourself that way. Uh, and, and that really, you know, it was a very dark moment for, for me, for this country at that time, but it was a glimmer of, of light to see people, um, you know, reson- to, see, to see that kind of content resonate with people and, and have it as a of, mission of justice uh, that, that took hold at the time.
1: And, you know, there have been very, very um, trying, to say the least, if not downright sad moments this year um, that piggybacked on top of those um, horrific suggestions of of registries for people just because of their faith, their background, um, including, you know, a, a famous... A Muslim ban billed as a travel ban by this mm-hmm. administration very early on in 2017. Um, more recently, just this last week, we had the Supreme Court um, declare that until they have a chance to to refer uh, review sorry elements of that travel ban a bit more closely that it, it will be able to be enforced constitutionally by this administration, um, you had the gutting of a rule that Obama created called the International Entrepreneurial Rule that helped fast track visas mm-hmm. for immigrants who started companies in the U.S. and built certain jobs or created an amount of revenue. Um, you certainly had uh, commentary come out of our Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, about immigration proposals that specifically stated that you have to measure up to a certain level of American identity in order to qualify um, as a a – an immigrant worthy of a, a visa um to enter this country. Um so I mention all of these inflection points because in 2017 alone, um, there have been some really, really strong overtures uh that pretty much create an us versus them mentality mm-hmm. when it comes to people that quote unquote aren't from here. Mm-hmm. Um similarly, you've you you've used you know, your lens, your voice um, and and in partnership with several others to warn against how terrifying, disastrous and downright um, threatening that kind of approach to policy and culture can be for this country. And you've done so quite poignantly, um, but what does it mean for our country if you put out powerful, you know, multimedia content like this, or you stand up with Black Lives Matters, or you, you know, work for organizations that are are like the Reflective Democracy campaign that are trying to bring, you know, more women and community of, communities of color into political institutions. When, when we have all of these efforts um, going on to try and invest in that American ideal that you mentioned, and yet at the same time, we have this drip after drip after to drip of uh, frankly the xenophobia through policy of immigrant cultures. How how do you stay motivated? How should others stay motivated to continue those pursuits for social justice? And does it ever beg the question of how effective these multimedia content campaigns can actually be in drawing attention to creating bridges?
0: No, absolutely. I, I mean, when, when we're not when when we're not in the seat of power, we always ask how effective is are all these strategies right. Um, and and that's right. what happens when when we lose an election, uh, even though we didn't really lose, yeah. right? But um, I, I think the most Breach. important, point, yeah, the most important point to make um, when it comes to to these downright assaults on on the American idea that I was talking about earlier um, is that we have to remember that this has happened before, right? Uh, I I am of Chinese descent, the Chinese. Exclusion Act, which lasted from 1882 to 1943, is the most notorious example of people, you know, putting really draconian laws on immigration onto towards towards people because they didn't want, you know, more folks of Chinese descent to, to become American. Uh, you know, it, it's it's that simple. They they weren't they weren't hiding it when they passed the law, and you know we are we're, we're still here, we're still here, and and you know Asian Americans are the fastest growing uh, population in the United States. So you know, like the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, right? And that you know, that's a very famous quote that abolitionists made famous, and MLK made famous in our era. You know, right after the election, Juno Diaz, the uh, the writer, wrote, you know, this is the joyous destiny of our people to bury the arc of the moral universe so deep in justice that it will never be undone. You know, and we have to keep on reminding ourselves that that's our mission, and no matter who. … sits in the seat of power and tries to assault our values and the idea of America, it is our right and our goal to advance our idea of America every single day in the best way we know how, until we're back in that seat of power. And we will be one day. But in the meantime, we are going to do everything we can to make sure that our voices are heard.
1: … And. The, the power of voice, um, you know, couldn't be more, um, I guess, accessible to to any citizen or any individual that wants to share their perspective, given all of the tools that you mentioned at the top um, that are at our disposal. And, you know, through the power of the Internet are, are frankly in our pockets on a day to day basis. And one element of voice that you focused on more recently um, is, is actually something that was codified um, in writing, but you beautifully were able to to transmit and telegraph uh, through the power of, of video, and that was um, taking a, a commentary on um, America is in the heart, a, a book that was written, I believe, in the 1940s mm-hmm. and published uh, by a novel capturing the Filipino-American immigrant experience. Um, That book has had a special place uh, for you personally, Um, but in in collaboration with the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center, you were actually able to telegraph passages from the author that talk about, you know, our faith, our identity, our voice being a living thing, but also being a fragile thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that project was and why it was important to produce at this moment in America's history?
0: Sure. Um, you know, the book means a lot to me and has meant a lot to me for a long time. I first read it in college. It's it's a staple in almost every single Asian American literature curriculum. And, you know, for anyone who, who feels lost, who feels like, you know, this is a country that keeps on telling people who, who look like me that, that we don't belong here, really give you a foundation to say, yes, we do. And, and we need to find our place in America where we can thrive. Um, so the passage is my favorite passage of the entire book, and we, uh, through the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center, invited uh, a series of folks to participate. They, they include um, the comedian Hassan Minhaj, who's the first narrator, uh, the writer Juno Diaz, who I was just talking about, these, our last narrator, and the community organizers and immigrants from, from across the country. We filmed in Seattle. We filmed in L.A. Uh, we filmed in New York. We filmed a lot in D.C. We filmed in Boston. Uh, My hometown, New Haven, Connecticut, we filmed there. Um, There are communities of immigrants that are represented throughout the country who are in this two-and-a-half-minute film. And what we are trying to convey is that at the core of our creed, America is an idea. And in the words of Bulacan, America is in the heart. And as long as we believe in our community, in why we live the lives we live in and what we believe, that we will be able to weather storms, and we have weathered storms throughout American history. Um, and, you know, my my forte has always been to sort of ca- encapsulate that sentiment within, you know, two minutes of social video, and, and that's what we aim to do here. Um, and I think it sends a, a powerful message to, to immigrants, whether you are undocumented, whether uh, you, you know, you came as first generation and and uh, feel like you are the idea of you being in this country is under assault. You know, for anyone who who has had to endure that kind of an experience, um, I hope that that video can can make people feel better about um, where we're going as a country, instead of thinking about all, all the people who are trying to prevent it from getting there. And you know,
1: where we're going as a country is is pretty interesting just given a lot of the commentary that we're having mm-hmm. on immigration right now mm-hmm. um specifically you know you mentioned sort of the the rapid pace at which chinese americans are are growing as a um uh, demog- uh, demographic within this country. Um, there's also, you know, census data that reveals that the Latino community in America is rapidly exploding and may quickly be by 2040, um, you know, the, the largest share of individuals within the United States. There's a lot of um, immigration into uh, American cities, uh, as more and more um, technological and entrepreneurial boom, uh, present opportunities to people from around the world. And, and yet, America, at least by the the policies and rhetoric of this administration, can be seen as in a bit of a retreat. You know, if you're like me, you're probably traveling a lot this time of year. And for all those frequent travelers among you, check out Sennheiser's PXC 550 Premium Travel Headphones with 32 hours of battery life noise cancellation
0: and stunning Sennheiser sound. It is a perfect travel companion and you can get it on sale during the holiday season.
1: Plus get 25% off when you visit Sennheiser.com and use code mouth media, Sen at checkout. That's mouth media S E N N. From your perspective, as we try and comment on why a wide and rich tapestry can be helpful uh, of immigrant voices and, and immigrant minds can be helpful for our nation either historically or economically, or as we try and offer perspectives that build bridges across communities and across generations, how important is it to you? um as you've worked for politicians as you've worked um on behalf of of research institutions and on behalf of you know even trusted entities like the Smithsonian how important is it that we start to build an understanding not just among those immigrant communities historically past and present But for those that maybe don't trust those immigrant communities that feel that their jobs are being threatened by them rightly or wrongly or that their values and their communities are being threatened by them rightly or wrongly. How do we use the tools that you've brought to bear um, to tell so many beautiful and poetic stories to those 63 million Americans that maybe don't revel in those passages of time and and frankly think that the immigrant uh, footprint on our country can be seen as a stain on our country?
0: You know I, I think it's important to remind everybody that we're human. Um, I don't have an answer to how to engage folks who uh, feel strongly about Donald Trump to, to, you know to convince them in a very short amount of time that immigration and, and communities of color are a positive impact on this country. and I, I don't have the answer to that. Um, but I do think that reminders of of our common humanity um, and a message of love is important to share for anyone who is involved in our politics. Um, and, and when we tap into love, we don't know what comes from it. But we can certainly anticipate, you know, people having a sense of family, right? Like, like every every single person, you know, loves somebody. And if we remind them of the politics of love and how love impacts our everyday life, no matter how different we are, uh, we can find common bonds there, and hopefully that's that's what you know that's what brings us together as a country is through through the politics of love. But I I don't have an answer to to how to convince somebody um, to see that other other than that. And, and you know I, I would be crazy if I told you that I think that's a silver bullet. There is no silver bullet here. Uh, we all just have to keep on trying until uh, we see progress.
1: And that sense of love um, is definitely a theme that can, can resonate with many and build bridges, um, among many. Um, but it's also one that we've seen increasingly, although perhaps not increasingly enough, uh, politicians try and leverage, um, when they're out on the campaign trail or when they're trying to connect with communities that they're, they're aiming to represent, um, having added, um, you know, digital advice, strategic advice, messaging advice, um, having added those perspectives to dozens of campaigns and to dozens of candidates um, in your career, um, what do you think a message of love looks like going into the 2018 elections? Um, if you're giving an advice to either a up and coming Democratic presidential candidate or or someone in a swing left district that that's trying to, to unseat an incumbent, um, do you think now more than ever um, it? an appropriate theme or narrative for a campaign around love and around inclusivity is what is going to help change the political landscape going into next year's elections? Um, or is that something that is more tailored on a case by case basis? Walk us through kind of just as a campaign strategist, how you would try and bring that to bear given the current atmospherics swirling the nation.
0: I, you know, I think, I think love is always applicable. Um, and I think it just sort of depends on whether the, the messenger for it, uh, uh, wants to to have that be, be the tone of their campaign, um, you know, whatever whatever it is that, that they're involved in. Right? I, I don't necessarily see the 2018 midterms as an opportunity to talk about um, those things. I think, I think, you know, like midterms are a response to who's in power, right? But I think 2020, when we have a national argument about the idea of America again, and that's what presidential campaigns are. They are a conversation about what we believe this country is about. Um, I do believe that, you know, I want, I, I hope everybody runs on a, on a, on a message of love. I'm sure a Democrat, that's not going to be true, but, um, I hope as many people do as possible. And I, I think that, you know, you know, David Axelrod always says that we, we, in presidential campaigns, we elect the exact opposite of the person who's in power. Right. And if that's the case, and Donald Trump has built his entire campaign on hatred um, you know, what what do we respond with? And I think um we either respond with more anger towards him, towards what he believes in, or we respond with love. Um and, and that's that's a really I and mean, that's I don't know how the Democratic Party is gonna go um from there. And and frankly I think if any of us was, was gonna city and predict what happens in twenty twenty, we'd all be crazy. Right? I mean there there's right. there's there's no chance that, that we can we can forecast um, the chaos that will be the 2020 presidential campaign right now. But I do hope that no matter what, as many people run in love as possible.
1: The concept of of embracing communities um, and, and, and realizing that we're better off um, as a more inclusive society rather than a divided one uh, was re- a really, really strong and central theme, many would argue, to um, the the presidential campaign of Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, notably, her, her slogan that we were stronger together mm-hmm. um, really got to this concept that we are a melting pot of a society, but it also was a, a subtle jab back at what the GOP slate of candidates were offering, which tended to be candidates that touted um, representations of division and populist outrage against certain communities. And obviously, that manifested itself into what we have now in Donald Trump, who is a divider in chief principally than a more inclusive leader. Um if, if that message didn't work last go around for one party, is that something that should continue to be focused on because of the American pursuit or should it be crafted in a different way? I'm just curious what your thoughts are if, if inclusivity is core to America's identity and you get in yet it can get rejected in a campaign season, um, does that actually make it core to our American identity?
0: I- I think this all depends on the messenger, right? Um, I'm not going to sit here and and tell you that I think Hillary Clinton was the best messenger for um, talking about an inclusive society, or talking about economic justice, or talking about um, you know the politics of love. I I don't think that that's who she was. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton was a a pragmatic policy wonk who had strong leadership skills and had been in American public life for. 25 years and wasn't new anymore. Um, and, and those were all things that that really hurt her. And and she wasn't that great of a campaigner. She she, she didn't bring I a soul that the politics of love like needs in order for it to be effective or for it to get across. So, uh, look, ever, anyone can run on the politics of love. It doesn't mean that it's going to resonate. And uh, I don't think it resonated coming from her. Um, I, I, I frankly I don't blame her you know like, I obviously like you know I wish she went she won but uh, when you think about Hillary Clinton's campaign you don't think about the fact that she ran on stronger together right you you, you think that you know like there's nothing that you could really hold on to that you remember from her campaign other than Donald Trump is a nightmare please don't elect him so you know for me it's not, right. it's, not it's not about you know what message she ran on the fact that she she couldn't really carry it the way that one who runs on love to carry it. So hopefully that's something that, you know, the country and and the party can bring forward in 2020. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who will vie vie for that, that message and to be that messenger.
1: Yeah. And the, 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 it's it's a great point because I think what, what is central to both the election of Donald Trump and, and Barack Obama, and frankly, several, um, Uh, elected leaders and public servants across the country at, at, you know, even the state and local level um, a resonant theme seems to be not necessarily just an outsider perspective, but, but really a, a strong and compelling as you put it, storyteller, right? Like where the brand of the individual, what they represent, their identity, their ideals is almost uh, more powerful than just the content of their, their policy prescriptions alone, for example. Right. Um, And, and, you know, As a result of that, the concept of the messenger, um, you know, seems to have much more of an outsized role in in modern American political campaigns than ever before, whereas before you could use a healthy mix of, you know, paid TV or fundraising or direct mail campaigns and what have you in addition and in tandem with the candidate to create a a winning campaign. But this concept of, of the messenger has sort of shifted uh, the way that we work on campaigns. For you as a campaign strategist, how do you sort of see um, the the – the efficacy of someone who brings forward good ideas, strong, you know, American values, and yet they're the messengers an empty vessel. Does something need to change in the way that progressive politics is crafted if the the candidate, him or herself also needs to be just as compelling of a human being um, Mm -hmm. in the way that we kind of present ideas? Or is it much more about just packaging them up in, in more compelling ways?
0: I think it's uh, it, that's, it's hard to nail down because I think it's a case by case um, uh, situation. Uh, I the internet and the way we communicate on social media, people with real charisma and real skill on in how to how to, to 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 make a message. And I look, I mean, does that mean I, I used to. I used to like joke around about how like people like George Mitchell or George H. W. Bush sort of chance to be elected to anything these days. Because like, you know, like you don't you don't you don't resonate nearly as much and the old methods of getting your name out there, which, you know, was like T V and mail and all this kind of all this kind of stuff, it's not nearly as you know, that's not the society that we live in anymore. Right. I mean, especially if you're talking about millennials, yeah. who by 2020 will be the biggest vote share of the entire electorate. Um, people aren't watching TV. You know, so how do you introduce somebody? You introduce them on social media. Right. And and I think, you know, the Democratic Party has a lot of things to, to fix. But I think one of the things that they really uh, want to fix but can't because of the sort of the power levers there is the fact that we we have, as storytellers for the party, um, frankly, old white men who don't resonate with the Democratic Party and the people who call themselves Democrats. Um, and and we're going to see this huge gap. I mean, it's it's still evident in everything that you see. Mo- most of political content are created by old white men, for, for progressives, are created by old white men who don't connect with with the folks who actually call themselves Democrats. Um, I think people have been able to get away with that for, for decades because the internet, because TV allowed them to, but the internet is maturing and it's not allowing people to do that anymore. Um, so come 2020, we're really going to, we're going to gonna see how, how effective people are communicating on the most dominant platform and medium there is, and it's not TV.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a hell of a point, and an an important one because, um, you if you don't get your news from or I guess your information from one principal source, um, there that means that it's a it's a hell of a moment in time in which you can gather inputs from a wide tapestry of of inputs, but it also means that um, it's a dangerous moment in time because. That means that the way you're getting your information is, can be inconsistent. The veracity of that information can be inconsistent. Um, and frankly, the, the trust in the institution of content, of media, of information is being chipped away at mm-hmm. um, by the president's own twi- Twitter account. Um, I, I'm curious from your perspective, one one of the core tenets of America's ideal um, is that we have a, a free, functioning, open uh, media that can, you know, call out persons in power, um, bring, bring the powerful to their needs if, if something is uh, incorrectly advanced, um, or can also just shed light on a moment in time. And yet you have a current state of play where um, the approval rating of many American media institutions seems to be on par with the approval rating of Congress, um, which isn't high on, on anyone's uh, mark these days. What does it mean for our identity as a country when the way we're getting information um, is being attacked and the the purveyors of that information are being attacked?
0: So um, I, I think it's about how we frame this, right? You know, the New York Times just released their latest numbers and they have the highest number of subscriptions and reach they ever had. So, you know, is, is the New York Times, which is the standard bearer of the quote unquote uh establishment media are they suffering in this moment i i don't think so um right and and i think a lot of media outlets right now are are doing the best journalism that we've seen in decades and it's because it's because we have to meet this moment you know we're talking earlier about activists and and, and people who want to be civically involved to do the best they can and the best way they know how journalists are doing the same you know there's a reason why the washington post has under under its is logo everywhere. Democracy dies in darkness, right? We will never allow ourselves to 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 go down without a fight, and I think that's that's true for every single institution that we hold dear in an open society. And a free press is one of the main tenets of an open society. Um. So I I I, I don't necessarily think that one um you know newspapers or or media outlets really care for for public opinion approval you know i i don't don't think that they're in the business of that um and i do think that that really good journalism is being done and people are subscribing in in ways that they haven't before in in the internet era at least um and you know i don't know about you but i mean i think msnbc is thriving right their numbers are going up right now so you know, look at crooked media, Pod Save yeah, America, right? Like true. it's the most popular podcast yeah. in, in the whole country. Um, you know, people who, who, who care about these values are finding ways to resist in the best ways they know how. It might have been really, you know, nauseating the first couple of months after Trump won to, to realize that there are a lot of things that we need to fix. But we're beginning to fix them. And we're beginning to identify the people and the mediums and the strategies to fix what's wrong with with our country right now, so hopefully over the next year and next three four years, as we get ready for the 2020 campaign, we will know exactly what we need to do to put this country back on track
1: and you know for for a lot of of young people who might be um, looking at the modern Uh, political debate or frankly even just the characters who make them up it could be really easy to get turned off of um, public service in general uh, either because you don't like the politics or because you see the way the politics are playing out with who's in charge, um, or frankly, just a general disdain for how the professional conduct of individuals um, is being executed. When you have, you know, condoning of hate speech and neo-Nazis, um, as well as drips and drabs of sexual assault and harassment accusations among, you know, our, our public servants, what do you say? Um, in the same way that you mentioned that, you know, there's a moment in time in which we can use. Um, our skills through whatever medium, through whatever outlet that we have to resist, to stand up, to share our voice. What What do you say to young people right now who who may be completely trying to stay as far away as possible from careers in public service? How do you keep a next generation motivated to get involved in, in the issues and, and social justice pursuits of our time?
0: I think it's a lot of what we've touched on today, which is about moral clarity, right? Um I, I, you know, I do think that young people right now are getting more, more involved than, than than certainly you know my generation when I was growing up right I grew up in the '90s when it was like the most prosperous time in American history so you know people felt like there was nothing that really mattered and how we get the 2000 presidential election. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Now, yeah, no, good point.
0: Now when I see, you know, I mean. Just let's, let's take like Indivisible for an example, right? There are Indivisible high school chapters across the country. Can you imagine that happening in the '90s? No, right? And it's because this is a moment of moral clarity. And people see very clearly who took the individual
1: what chapters.
0: Well, I was saying let's just take Indivisible as an example. There are high school chapters for Indivisible, oh,
1: indivisible, indivisible. all across
0: the country, right, right? Right? Like, can you imagine that in the '90s? No, right? No, can you even imagine that in like you know the early Obama era when we thought that we fixed the world? No. Right. 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 So you know, it takes moments of crisis for us to realize what's really at stake, and moral clarity that's needed to win back the country, win back the idea of America from those who've wrestled that that kind of power away from us. So how do we get back there? We have to, you know, I think uh, President Obama said this the other day, right? He said we have to tend to the garden of democracy. And and that's what we're seeing happening across the country. Now we're only I mean we're only getting started here. It's been it's been a year. It's been a lot of, a lot of tears and a lot of, a lot of trauma, and and we all have to sort of take our bearings of it and and, and make sure that we take care of ourselves in order for us to really do the kind of work that we need to do. But we're just getting started, and I think I see this. I mean, at least in the work that I do, I see this you know burgeoning, new code of, of civics. In America, being developed, and I think in a year from now, two years from now, we're really going to know how to have a guidebook to, to take this country back.
1: A, a new code of civics is is particularly well framed because uh, you know a, a healthy combination of uh, you know whether it's the modern day podcast equivalent. Of what conservative talk radio was back in the 90s via, you know, Crooked Media and Pod Save America, like you mentioned, or if it's like comedians such as Hassan Minaj that talk through um, with, with passion, but also humor, um, their immigrant stories and the stories of their parents, um, or if it's even just faces and voices like you, um, you know, the, si- the son of Chinese uh, immigrant uh, parents who, you know, read through the words of of Carlos in America is in the heart to get through college, to to push back on those that might have asked you, where are you from or where are you really from? All of these different mediums for self-expression um have are shaping that code of ethics as you may as you put it. um one additional shape uh, or, or impact on the contours of that code have been uh, dedicated campaigns around um, the treatment of black Americans in this country. Uh, you've seen um for for several years now um the the coalescing of American attitudes and as well as calling out certain america's uh, certain American um passiveness to the black community when it comes to criminal injustices, when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to just social inequity, um, mostly manifested uh, through the Black Lives Matter movement. You've also seen uh, on the football field, individuals take a knee and take a stand in solidarity for the challenges being confronted by the black American community here in the United States. And this is not new. Um, It's certainly something that has been core to Um, the code of civics for this country for several generations. um, And and that's quite sad, given that that means that there's always a need to call out these challenges that exist. Um, But it is a very opportune time in which, as you put it, if we have this new code, there can be a lot more commentary and a lot more clarity as to what the problems are um, that persist in various communities and particularly in Black communities. At the same time, though, um, those movements have not been understood by communities that perhaps are not black or, or 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 perhaps they also feel demonized for their own injustices whether it's the lack of a job or whether it's the lack of appropriate treatment from their own police communities and as we as we seek to to build new bridges in 2020 or just in the broader project of of, of the American experiment um how do you actually encourage someone who maybe is um from a non uh, urban community who is maybe in the middle of the country, who, who worries that their manufacturing job may be offset by, you know, technology booming on the coasts um, and sees challenges in their, to their pocketbook, challenges to their identity and challenges to their vision of what it means to be American um, when you have politicians celebrating this movement of Black Lives Matters. um. Can you just define for us where you think the importance of that code of, of civics is for the black community and then how you'd actually create a bridge of explaining its impact and its importance to those that maybe are not black, but still face similar challenges and want to be represented with their voice too.
0: I don't know. I mean, I I think like, i gonna be totally honest with you. I think people know they, people know there's something wrong. Right. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, let's, when we see police brutality as recorded on an iPhone, or or when we see inequities when it's along racial lines, like we all know that it's wrong. It doesn't matter what you say to a pollster about whether you feel like you've been victimized in America. Like like you, people are human beings. We know when something's wrong, something's not. And there's like what Donald Trump has done successfully is he's weaponized a sense of like victimhood for people to really you know lean back on to refuse to admit that there are gross inequities along racial lines, especially for the Black community in, in in America. So again, I think this goes back to, to what my point was earlier, which is moral clarity. Make the point. We're all human beings. We're all we, – that's the one thing that we have in common. We all love someone in our lives, and, and we have to remind ourselves of that. And if we have a – look, our code of ethics or our code of civics that, that I was talking about earlier it should be fundamentally based on love it shouldn't be based on blaming others or seeing others in a different you know as different it should it should be about how to f- find ways to fix you know the, the 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 sickness that we have across so many different you know sections of our society right now so and I, I mean, like I, you know, this is look. This is just me and my personal way of of, of handling this. Like when I when I hear arguments from people that are anti Black Lives Matter, I don't believe they fundamentally think that that's the case. I believe that they are looking for ways to say what is blatantly obvious from a humanity point of view about what's unjust in this country.
1: Right. And and that and that sense of of injustice. Um, anywhere being, you know, as MLK, um, famously pointed out is a threat to justice everywhere, um, has really, really been core to, to all of these movements. Um, and, and I'm, I'm curious for, for you, that's, that's tracked, supported and brought your, your vision and your, your media eye to a variety of these movements. What, what's next for Frank Chi? Are there any exciting projects that you're working on?
0: Yeah, it's always going to be through film, right? It's always, it's always going to be, um, you know, making clear moral arguments about our politics today rooted in history through film. Um, I, I don't see, I don't see that changing, uh, in, in what I am most passionate about, um, in, in the times that we live in today. I will say this, I think, you know, I, uh, I, I respond to the moments we live in, right. Um, I was just watching this video that I made in 2010 called think 2040 and, It was, I mean, it's one of the most optimistic things I've ever made. And it's a a sort of this clear-eyed view of what the future can be. And that was 2010 when I really did feel like everything was possible, right? Especially before the midterms came in 2010. You know, the Obama experience in the first two years was you felt like anything was possible. And um, it would be, I don't know if I'm capable of making that video now. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, But I think that's what the times call for. I I think I think the times call for responses to two moments. And right now we need moral clarity and we need arguments about justice to get to where we want to be.
1: Frank Chi, thank you so much for joining American Enough.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas, episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.